before the episode starts, I just want to let you know uh, there's irrelevant t-shirts for sale now. Uh, there's a link in the show notes, the irrelevant.org slash store. But let's get on with the show. This is The Irrelevant, a podcast about finding the deeper meaning of seemingly useless information. I'm Rodrigo Nunez, and today's episode is OR4 Did Nothing Wrong. So I've been doing this podcast for a while now, and if you've listened to any episode before this, you would hear me sign off by saying OR4 Did Nothing Wrong. <laughs> and so that actually comes from a very, very old episode on this podcast, the 10th episode that was ever recorded of this show way back in really early 2018. And I thought there's plenty of you now that maybe haven't heard that, especially since that episode isn't up on the feed. So I thought it would be good to bring this out yet again and to have you all understand a little bit of why I say that in the show. With that being said, I want to ask for your forgiveness in advance for the production value of the show back then. It was not as good as it is today, but it's a good reminder that, you know, I'm constantly improving, always learning more and more. But yeah, that was a, a slightly younger Rodrigo Nunez that hadn't done as many episodes that didn't know as much. And I kind of speak a little too fast and kind of just try to say as much as possible. But with that, I really like that story and I hope you enjoy it. Let's get into the show. This is OR4 Did Nothing Wrong. Gray wolf is the largest canine in the world and it's native in both Eurasia and North America, or the old world and the new world, as you'll see it called in some places. Males average about 95 to 99 pounds of weight and females are average about 80 to 85 pounds. Uh, the largest gray wolf ever measured weighed 175 pounds, so that's a big boy. They are social animals that travel in nuclear families consisting of the mating pair and its adult offspring. A seven-year-old wolf is considered old and they can reach a max lifespan of about 16 years. And according to archaeological and paleontological records, gray wolves have been a continuous presence in the world for at least 300,000 years. So they've been around a really long time. Uh, wolves have very long legs which allow them to navigate through snow easily. And when they walk, they place their paws one directly in front of the other uh, whenever it walks or runs. On bare paths, it can get pretty fast. It can go up to like 37 miles an hour. And the gray wolf has a running gait that it can maintain for at least 20 minutes. So that's about 20 minutes of 35 miles an hour, which is pretty incredible. <laughs> the teeth are heavy and large, and uh, they're really suited for crushing bone more so than just cutting. Uh, the gray wolf's jaws have a pressure of about 1,500 PSI. When compared to a German Shepherd, a German Shepherd's pressure is 750 PSI. So a wolf is a lot stronger than a German Shepherd and can break most bones just with its jaws. There's a great quote about this, about the wolf's teeth uh, on this piece by Emma Maris, which I will be referencing throughout, the, throughout this whole podcast. I just want to read it because I thought it was really cool. Quote, 
Wolves' teats are surprisingly blunt instruments. They often kill by inducing massive internal bleeding. A cougar pounces on its prey and kills it instantly by breaking its neck or slicing open a, car a carotid artery. But a wolf chases an animal until it collapses, then basically beats it to death with its jaws. Which sounds really awesome. So yeah, that that's pretty much what a gray wolf is. Um, and initially, a gray the gray wolf existed pretty much in all of the continent of North America, from Alaska down to the rainforests of Mexico. But as humans settled in the West, uh, wolves were quote extirpated, which is a word that I learned when I was looking up this topic. And to extirpate means to completely destroy or root out. So it's kind of like genocide, but for a species, extirpated. So yeah, the gray wolf was pretty much by the early and mid 20th century, it was extirpated through most of North America, uh, which brings us to the topic of today's podcast, which is the wolves of Oregon. There had been no recorded wolf packs in Oregon since 1947, but in 2005 or 2006, we're unsure of exactly when it happened. A young black furred gray wolf from Idaho swam across the Snake River and landed in Oregon, thus becoming the first wolf there in a long time. Something that's pretty cool about that or exactly why that happened, uh, this is something that young wolves do all the time. So like I said earlier, uh, wolves live in families and nuclear families, but there's only really one mating pair. And sometimes when young wolves are already in content or discontent, just raising the kids or hunting around and they want to find their own mate, they'll just take off. They'll just leave the pack and run in one direction for hundreds of miles trying to get as far away from their old pack to find mates and establish their own territory. And we don't know exactly how they decide where they're going to go or when they decide they're going to go. We just know that when they do it, they're off. They just take off. So that's what this guy did. And he ran from Idaho. He ran west and crossed into Oregon. And despite Oregon being far away from what was at that point the established range of gray wolves, he actually lucked out and found a mate. There was a silver female who had also traveled from Idaho, and she was being tracked by Idaho biologists. She had one of those uh, collars that have a GPS transmitter or a radio transmitter, so that's how they know that she came from Idaho. And she is a direct descendant of the first pack that was reintroduced in Idaho in 1996. So. Our black-haired male and our silver female made it for the first time in the winter of 2006 and thus became a pack. They settled in the Wallowa Mountains near the border of Idaho, and they were the first pack in Oregon in 60 years. So that's historic right there. In 2009, the female was trapped and collared with a transmitter by the Oregon Fish and Wildlife Service, or ODFW. So from now on, I'm just going to call it the ODFW. So they trapped her, they put a transmitter on her, and they named her OR2, which means Oregon 2. She was the second wolf to ever be tracked by the ODFW in Oregon. The first one was just this one, one, one of a pair of wolves, uh, kind of like renegade their own little mini pack that were killing cattle. So they caught one and put a collar on it. They tried to track it and try to use deterrent so that they wouldn't kill cattle, but it didn't work. They killed them. And our silver-haired uh, one is OR2. So once the female was tracked, naturally the male was tracked too, just because, you know, mating pairs hang out together. Uh, the ODFW saw the pack for the first time later that year, and that's when they saw him. 
actually this whole idea for this podcast really came from when I read a great piece by Emma Maris in Outside Magazine or uh, Outside Online, um, and it's entitled A Very Old Man for a Wolf, and it tells a story in really beautiful poetic fashion about this wolf that I'm talking about today. This is a quote directly from Emma Maris's piece uh, describing the first time that the ODFW runs into the male wolf. Quote, the female and the pups fled, but the big male stopped 30 yards away from the carcass and turned to face them, howling, barking, and growling. He was black as a starless night and in the prime of his youth. He just lit up, Morgan recalls. He was so loud you couldn't hear yourself think. End quote. That's our guy. That's our, our, our guy that swam over from Idaho. The first time that the ODFW runs into him, he just makes an impression. He's just barking, growling, howling. Imagine how imposing that animal must have been that this hunter says that you couldn't hear yourself think. That just sounds awesome. Six months later, the ODFW is tracking the female. You know, they already know she's got a pack. They already know that she's part of a mating pair. So they're interested in trying to tag the male um, because he's the alpha. So they're tracking her. They're, they're above them in a helicopter. They are chasing them down. They separate OR2 and the male. And when they chase him down, they make him trip over a bush and he falls and he gets right back up and just starts barking at the chopper. He stops running, but he's just barking and howling and yelping at them. And uh, they shoot him. They shoot a tranquilizer dart into him from the helicopter. And that's how they trap him and tag him and give him the official name of OR4. So our boy from Idaho that became that founded the first pack with OR2 is OR4. By 2010, OR4 and OR2, the black and the silver, have their third litter of pups. And now that the tracker is on OR4, we can see what he's doing. And this wolf is pretty awesome. Uh, again, I'm going to quote the article again here by Emma Maris. Quote, one day in the spring of 2010, when OR4 was in his prime, he killed an elk, 33 miles from his den, and then ran home in six hours, his belly full of meat to throw up to feed his pups. That meant a 66-mile round trip in rough country with a vigorous elk hunt in the middle. End quote. So that's pretty amazing. Just imagine running 33 miles in the middle of the forest, in the middle of the Oregon wilds where there's nothing and it's cold and it's wet, and not only doing that, but killing an elk bringing food back just to feed his puffs. That is a pretty incredible wolf. OR2's and OR4's pack was named the Imnaha pack by the people in Oregon, by the ODFW, because of the river that was in the middle of their territory. So in that spring, the spring of, of, of 2010 going into 2011, elk leave the hills and food is more scarce up in the hills and the pack is a lot bigger now you know they've had three litters and usually when that happens wolves will come down from the hills and the mountains and descend into the valleys and into the bone piles which if you don't know what bone piles are they're the very efficient <laughs> the very efficient way that cattle ranchers of oregon deal with dead cows and i say efficient sarcastically because pretty much when a cow dies it's a big deal to bury it because it's very big so the ranchers will just kind of drag it all and put them in a pile and let them kind of deteriorate a little so that they're not so big and then at the end of the month or whatever they'll bury the cows so when there is no food in the hills 
that naturally attracts the wolves. So the Imnaha pack comes down that spring into the into the bone piles and just they you know they're hanging out, they're having free snacks. But when they're there, they're attracted by the cows, which are, you know, as fat as an elk or sometimes fatter and less dangerous than the elk because, you know, they don't kick as hard and they don't have the antlers. So uh, they start eating calves. So yeah, in May, they kill five of them. And that same year, uh, the ODFW started handing out permits to ranchers to kill wolves that were messing with cattle. But at that same time, OR4 collar dies, so they can't track him and they can't put him in any of these wolf killings. And he's spared. He's spared along with his pack. They go into the winter and he has more pups. They're a bigger pack now. They keep killing cattle. And two of his offspring um, were trapped and killed because of their prolonged activity and or deep depredation as they call it uh, which is killing cows and two of his offspring are killed um, because of that and or4 is himself is trapped but since he's a mating male he was spared uh, they put a collar again remember that last winter his collar had stopped functioning so they couldn't place him at any of these killings but when they trap him near one they kill two of his kids and they track him they put a collar on him so that we know exactly where he is, or oh, the ODFW knows exactly where he is. And for the next five years, he has tracked extensively down to 100 meters. He's the most famous wolf in all of Oregon. There are like, he is so famous that there are alarms linked specifically to his collar so that ranchers know where he's around, when he's around, and they can defend their cow specifically from him and his pack. So his pack was so big that they wouldn't always kill cows, but they did it enough because there were so many of them and so many of them needed to be fed that they were labeled a chronic predator and OR4 specifically was labeled a chronic predator, uh, which means that now they were authorized to kill him. Um, so they track him down. They go to this small uh, thicket of pines near Forest Road. They can't get him. They track him down again. They find that he's in a canyon. Once they're in the canyon, they describe that it starts raining and drizzling and it's miserable. And right as they're going to shoot him, they get a text from a judge that has issued a stayed, ordering them to stand down because he has been spared again. So OR4 skirts the law again. He survives. Um, and that's because three environmental groups sued the state. Um, since wolves are technically on the state endangered species list, they, they argued that, you know, that you couldn't kill OR4 because of that. And it's around this time when, when OR4 is spared for the second time that many of his kids start leaving the pack and go off on their own. And I'm going to talk about them later because it's pretty remarkable. Uh, but in 2012, the Imnaha pack had more pups. And they continued to eat calves. A year later in 2013, the stay that saved his life the first time was settled. Um, and now there's a new wolf population control plan in place that um, specified that a wolf could be killed if its pack was implicated in four depredations within six months and if non-lethal control attempts had already been tried. So now the rules change. So now if OR4 or his pack kill four cattle within six months, uh, they're dead. They'll, they'll pretty much be killed. Uh, but over the next two years, the Imnaha pack like stayed suspiciously close to the limit Every six months, they would go right below. It's as if they knew the rules. In 2014, OR2, which is our the, the mate of OR4, died. We She wasn't shot or anything. She just died. She was of old age. Um, so yeah, tragically, she died. And 
OR2 and OR4 had had about 30 pups, which is really remarkable because there had been no wolves in Oregon at all. So yeah, OR2 died, OR4 got another uh, mate, but this is about when the pack, the Imnaha pack kind of started dying down because the mate wasn't as formidable as OR2. And in 2015, the wolf rules changed and now there was enough mating pairs in Oregon that the rules changed so that a rancher with a permit to graze on public land could request the wolf be killed after just two depredations in a row. So before it was four within six months. And now it's just, if you get two in a row, you can request it and we'll track it down. We'll see if it's really him and we'll kill him. And that's exactly what happened in the spring of 2016. The pack killed again. They spotted OR4. They tranked him. They collared him. They really started watching him closely. And then a week later, the pack killed four more calves. And on March 25 of 2016, the ODFW received an official request to have the pack killed. By 2016, like I said, OR2, the original gray hair female had died. OR4 had a new mate and she wasn't as formidable. She actually limped around all over the place and he was old. So yeah, OR4 was tracked down and above a chopper. He didn't run that far. He couldn't because he was really old. Um, he was killed with a shot to the head. He was 11 years old, which is really old for a wolf. Um, OR4's skull was preserved in the ODFW headquarters in Salem as the first alpha wolf of Oregon. And uh, here's another quote from that piece of earlier, which is really cool. OR4 was a dominant leader, a skilled hunter, and an excellent father, according to Morgan. Seven of the state's 17 packs have alphas that are his sons, daughters, or granddaughters. Above all else, the big black wolf was supremely competent. He epitomizes all things wolf, Morgan says, end quote. So that's OR4, a really awesome wolf who came over from Oregon and in years kind of established a whole population in Oregon, had over 30 pups and each of them had, like, had many of them that were really skillful, that had their own packs. One of his sons, OR7, traveled all the way to California from Oregon in December of 2011. So kind of like his dad, he just one day set off. But instead of heading west, he headed south. By December, he had reached the southern border and crossed into California, which was momentous because he became the first wolf to exist in California since they were all killed off in the 1920s. Now, his pack is like actually in the northeast of Oregon. It's nowhere near California. He traveled 1,200 miles down to California looking for a mate. He stayed in California for most of 2012, and then he started heading north. And surprisingly, he found a mate. Um, he settled near the border of Oregon and California, and he actually has a pack. As of 2016, um, the pack was up to nine members, but his GPS batteries died, and they haven't been able to recapture him because much like his dad, he's really awesome. But OR7 was so popular and, and generates so much excitement in California that He's actually responsible for the gray wolf being listed as an endangered species in the state, uh, which is pretty remarkable. Another one of his kids, OR9, went back to Idaho where his parents are from. So that's pretty remarkable. Uh, another one, OR33, was shot uh, near Klamath Falls, Oregon in April of 2017, which is really far from his original location. OR12 went north, uh, really, really close to Washington and established a pack there. OR4's descendants also founded California's first wolf pack 
since the 1920s, the Shasta pack. Um, and actually they think the, the alpha female Shasta of the Shasta pack is actually a direct descendant of OR4, which is really awesome. OR3, another one of his descendants disappeared in 2011 and was presumed dead. But in 2015, four years later, he showed up uh, hundreds of miles southwest. He had found a mate and he had his own pup. So OR4 and OR2, these two wolves created this whole population of wolves in Oregon, California, and Washington that really wasn't there at all in the 20th century, despite being there for so long and, and you know, really belonging to this area, we had killed them all off and drove them all out. But introducing them in 2005 and 2006, 10 years later, there's already dozens of them all over the place and they're spreading far and they're being formidable and they're being awesome. And I just think that's really cool. And I just think it's a real testament to the spirit of these wonderful animals. So yeah, I hope that this story kind of lifts your spirit or encourages you to look them up. Um, I really, really recommend the story by Emma Maris. It's called A Very Old Man for a Wolf. And it's just a fantastic story that goes into a lot of detail. And it's very poetic, very beautiful. And um, yeah, let's just be grateful that we inhabit a world with these awesome creatures. So there you have it. Now you know what it means and you have the context. I hope you enjoyed that blast from the past. Like I said, there are t-shirts available that have the irrelevant logo right on the left chest. It's a black t-shirt. It's really understated. I really like it. I think it looks cool. If you want to support the show, just go ahead and go to the link in the show notes, theirrelevant.org slash store, and you'll find um, the t-shirts there. If you like the show, share it with a friend, leave us a review. We'll see you next time. And as always, OR4 did nothing wrong. This is the Irrelevant Podcast Network. Thanks for listening.